Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to the Monday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. My name is Julian McKenzie. Uh, You will not hear Ian Mendez's voice. I think he is too bogged down by all the Snoop Dogg Ottawa Senators coverage, so he needs a bit of a break. He's actually in Budapest. Uh, So Mark Lazarus, uh, who's in Chicago, uh, will fill in uh, for Ian Mendez for this Monday edition. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. I I do not get... I I was so jealous of Ian when he got to... Not that... I've talked to famous people before, but he got to quote Snoop Dogg, and he just said, Snoop said, which is so much cooler than any, like, attribution I've ever written as as a professional writer. Snoop said. Like, he's one of the few guys who we don't use his real name ever. He is Snoop. Like, you, you, I remember when The Rock first became really famous. It was always Dwayne, quote, The Rock Johnson when yeah. he was quoted. In a, but it's just Snoop said. Like, he is allowed, you know, even in the New York Times to be Snoop said. I love that. I'm jealous. Who of is that. the Who is the coolest person you've ever quoted? Or, like, who's the coolest person oh, you've wow. ever, like, spoken to and, like, you've written them down in an article and you're just like, holy crap, I got to talk to this person? Oh, my God. I had to think about that for a bit. Um, yeah, me too. That's that's a great question. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, Jesus, I you know I, I my my first job was covering Mario Lemieux, which you know that's pretty awesome to be able to to quote him on a daily. But that's that's a hockey world thing. I mean, you know, John Hamm. I talked to uh, Ooh, after yeah. a Blues a Blues Blackhawks playoff game once. I don't think I quoted him though. But uh, you know, Jr. Jeremy Rutherford was going around showing, uh, telling him everybody because he was big. Uh, he was an athletic subscriber. He was showing everybody on his phone the A logo on his uh, on his homepage that he had our app as his homepage. So that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I don't know if I've had any like super cool interviews though like that. Uh, George Saint Pierre might be mine. Okay, I've like, actually heard of him, and I'm not a big <laughs> uh, fight guy. 
Yeah, the UFC, like when he was like fighting, like he was the guy. Like I would, I, I was thinking about the other day, but like we would actually have, like my friends don't really do UFC watch parties anymore, but like when he was fighting, like we would do that. We would all sit down and watch. And like he was going through like rehab on like his left knee at one point. He was trying to explain like some like underwater training he was doing. And like we were sitting down face face to each other and he grabbed my left knee to like explain whatever pain was going on. And like my biggest regret is not having someone take a photo of us like, right, like me talking to him. Proof. It's either him or Jerome McGinley at this point. And Jerome McGinley, that was like two weeks ago. <laughs> Jerome McGinley didn't get back to me for that story I did on guys who changed teams late in his career. I'm, 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 I've always been a, a big McGinley fan, but now I, I hate him with a fiery passion because of that. Oh. I'm, very, I'm a very oh. small, bitter man. Oh, you, speaking of people being bitter, I will get to <laughs> hockey stuff. But speaking of people, <laughs> speaking of being bitter about athletes, I remember going to a Montreal Expos event last year and seeing Vladimir Guerrero, who is like my hero. And I remember asking him politely for a photo. and. He declined the photo, and oh. my heart broke, man. I I my, love that man. I, I'm my, still nothing. It's all good, but like, I, my heart broke, man. My greatest moment like that was uh, when I was 12 years old. We went to Mets spring training in Port St. Lucie, Florida, um, okay. because my my brother was had some kind of like uh, spring training of his own back, so we went down there, and um, and we, you know, this is spring training was really laid back. This is 1992 because I'm an old person, not 50 <laughs> like you think, but I'm old enough. And okay, you're not he, 50. I'm sorry I made that joke. You're only a couple years off. Couple. This podcast is off to a great start, Mark. <laughs> well, I, I just remember uh, uh, David Cohn was my favorite player. I was a pitcher, and David Cohn was my favorite player. And this is like in his prime of his career. And the guys are just walking around the campus. It's not like it is now where they're in like these big professional stadiums. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he, I, I had a ball in, in, in a glove because I was 12 years old. And David Cohn, so I said, oh, Mr. Cohn, I'm, you're my favorite player. He goes, hey, you want to have a catch? And we threw the ball back and forth like like I don't know ten fifteen times and Man. like you couldn't touch me for a year and a half after that I was the happiest person that ever lived for so long after that it's incredible you know when you're a person of that stature what you can do for a kid at that point like you can just make their life it was the best I can't wait until uh, Snoop Dogg gets to own the Senators so the next time we have this conversation we can mention more cool hockey players we got to get Snoop on the podcast. Uh, look, Ian's the, he's doing the interviews, whisper. man. He's doing interviews. He's doing it. Uh, Ian's the stoop whisperer. We got to make something happen. Anyway, uh, we have to talk about hockey because that's what the show's about. Oh, uh, right. There sorry. are. Yeah. Sorry about that. It seems to happen almost every time we do the Monday show. There's like a whole bunch of other rigmarole we have to get to before we get to the actual topics. I'm going to make sure we stay in line. Uh, but today is draft lottery day. We're going to get to other playoff stuff. We know uh, Toronto's burning because they're down 3-0 in their series against Florida. Hadn't Gerard heard. Gallant, uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's easy mistake to make. Uh, Gerard Gallant, no longer the head coach of the Rangers. Uh, some of the different award categories have been named. There's one in particular I do want to ask you about. And we'll get to the Con Smythe uh, winner of the week and a multiple choice madness question. But the draft lottery. Um the 11 best teams with the 11 best odds of Connor Bedard all have a chance. Uh, uh, you could be like uh, the team I cover, the Calgary Flames, and the four other teams in that bottom pile where they have a small chance at winning the draft lottery. But since they can only go up 10 spots, they don't really have a chance at that. So it's not really all that interesting for me. Uh, but I am curious, Mark, uh, for you being in Chicago, uh, the Blackhawks do have a genuine chance at Connor Bedard. What is the vibe? What is the feeling? Take take me through it. God, we have been talking about this day for since they traded Alex to Brinkett at the draft, like what, 10, 11 mm-hmm. months ago, whatever it was. I just mm-hmm. want it to be over. But obviously, this is a massive day in the life of, of, of several fan bases. And, you know, Blackhawks fans seem to be resigned to the fact that they're going to get the number five pick. They're going to slip from three to five. 
because there's just this pessimism around the team right now and that they blew the tank and this, that, and the other thing. And I get that, but they have the third best odds. Anaheim's got the best odds. Then it's Columbus. Then it's Chicago, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philadelphia, Washington, Detroit, St. Louis, Vancouver. Those are the 11 teams that can win Connor Bedard tonight. Um, Full disclosure here. There's, I don't know if you faced this when you went to Calgary, but when I took over the Blackhawks beat in in 2013, people mm-hmm. couldn't believe that I wasn't a Blackhawks fan. They didn't understand the difference between a writer, like that I wasn't from Chicago. I grew up in New York, uh, that I grew up an Islanders fan, that I didn't have any loyalties anymore, and that I was a purely objective observer. People couldn't understand that. I think they get it now, but I will say this. There are two times where I have rooted for an outcome for the Blackhawks. Either way. I've never rooted for them to win or lose, whatever. I don't care. It does. I'm, I'm one of those sickos that roots for triple overtime in the games that I'm covering. Like, I just yeah, want the best insane, story. Yeah, that's insane. Because writers just hate I that. Love that's it. insane. I love it. I, I covered four triple overtime games, and they're all awesome. They're some of my favorite oh nights my ever on this job. I love that. I love the challenge of it. I love the fun of it. You know you're covering history. I love that. I don't care who wins or loses. I honestly don't care. There are two mm-hmm. times where I cared, though. Game seven against St. Louis in 2016. Uh, there was uh, the, the Blues had a one goal lead in the third period, and I had this dawning realization that I wanted the Blackhawks to lose so bad. I so I just co- I covered twelve rounds in the previous three years, two yeah. cup runs, and then I went to a, a game seven of the conference final, and I covered that Stanley Cup final between the Kings and the Rangers. I had covered probably seventy nine, eighty games a year in each of those years because I went to every road game at the Sun Times, and I was just dead inside. Like I needed a real summer and there was this, this tangible possibility that I might actually get a full summer off and I might be not have to work two days from now. It was the most incredible sensation washed over me Good and Lord. Brent Seabrook hit the, he had a double post shot with about three minutes to go and Blackhawks fans to this day lament that moment. Like that was the end of the, of the era. That was one of the greatest moments of my life. I was so tired. Like I had lost all rational thought. Like I just wanted to go home. And so the, the Blackhawks lost that game and I got my summer and it was great. Now, of course, I'm missing the playoffs terribly. I miss, you know, the excitement yeah. of people carrying all that. You don't know what you got till it's gone, Right, man. yeah, exactly. It's true. But like, God, how about every other year? Because that was, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for me and I don't blame them. But that's, no. that's physically and mentally exhausting to, 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 you know, work 29 days a month like that all year. Um, the second time, it's tonight. I'm rooting for the Blackhawks to win the draft lottery. I selfishly want the Blackhawks to win the draft lottery because it's good for me professionally because (laughs) I want people to care about the Blackhawks again. And I probably shouldn't admit that. It's certainly not going to destroy me if they don't win. There'll probably be a part of me that's chuckling inside because I'm so anti-tank and I don't want them to be rewarded for this. But purely selfishly, Connor Bedard makes the Blackhawks interesting again. It makes the fans excited again. It makes them more competitive again. It expedites this process. I don't want to cover shitty hockey for five, five, six more years. I want them to get, you know, I don't need them to win, but I want them to be relevant. I want my job to be relevant, right? So selfish. And I think this is probably true of beat writers in every city right now. All 11 of those teams, they kind of deep down, they might not admit it because they're not as stupid as I am, but they're probably rooting for something good to happen to their teams tonight. I mean... He is the best prospect we have seen since Connor McDavid, or or maybe if you want to stretch it beyond to Crosby or Ovechkin, that is your right. But like to your point, yeah, he would make a lot of people's jobs interesting. Uh, if you are the owner of said teams that who have a chance at Connor Bedard, all these fans are going to want to come watch your games. Like 
there's a lot riding on this. And I get this happens every year, and you can think about that with so many other number one overall picks. But with a player of Connor Bedard's magnitude, the skill that he has, like he makes such a significant difference. Like I was reading that piece that we put up last week on on which team deserves him more and and all these different landing spots and seeing all where he could be placed on different teams he's already a team's like second line center he's already a team's first line center yeah. he makes that much of a difference today uh joining some of these uh, joining any of these teams who have a chance at Connor Bedard and I feel envious as someone who uh is covering a team that it was nowhere near bad enough uh, to go get a Connor Bedard and I think there are like a small s- faction of fans who especially after hearing President John Bean say, oh, hey, you know, before we traded Matthew Kachuk away, uh, or anyway, I'm kind of mangling that a little bit, but there was a reality where the Flames could have rebuilt and maybe have put themselves in this situation. Like, I kind of, I kind of feel a little, you know, I want in on the fun. If I'm not, if I'm going (laughs) to, if I'm not going to cover a playoff team, at the very least, if they have a chance at the draft lottery, at the very least, if they have a chance at a generational player, like I, I don't know. I want to be where the action is. I want yeah, to be I, where I, the people are. I would. I would at least say that you had an interesting season to cover. Like, oh, I'm not gonna. I'm was, not gonna. I'm not gonna. There was drama that. there. There was. In, you got a coach fired. You oh, had yeah. a team that was in the playoff race until the very, very end. I have covered a team that has been trying to lose since October, like God. actively trying to lose, like a management that is like, I want this to be as bad as possible. And it's been kind of fun to watch the Blackhawks basically, you know, give Kyle Davidson the middle finger by by tra- playing real hard. And, yeah. you know, Luke Richardson did a good job getting them playing hard. And that's why they're, they have the third best odds and not the best odds. I've kind of enjoyed that because it's been, you know, kind of amusing to watch. Uh, but it, I need this more than you do, buddy. I'm just saying. I need it. Okay. Let's let's try to make Eric this Stevens least... needs it. Aaron Portsline needs it. You don't need yeah. this. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Eric Steve. Eric Stevens and Aaron Portsline. Corey Massasak needs this. Oh God. <laughs> and hey, look, Adam Fantilli's out there. That's a guy who also has yeah. to think. I mean, depending on who's number two, he's got to think about that too. You're absolutely. There, right. There's there a part of me that almost wants the Blackhawks to get the second pick because yeah. we've written so much about Connor Bedard that there's literally nothing left to say about him. And Fantilli feels like a, a fresh start. So I almost take five years here. Fantilli. <laughs> I'm telling you, after Bedard, after Fantilli, I can't wait for the draft because who's third? Is it Leo Carlson? Is it Lil Smith? Is it is it Matthew Mitchell? Like, there's so many different possibilities. But here's something I want us to do, Mark. Okay. Uh, something that I think will guarantee fun for the both of us, even though it looks like you already want more fun than me. <laughs> Let's go on the Tankathon website. Tankathon, great site where you can simulate the draft lottery, all these mock drafts. And actually, if you could do it for the NBA, the NFL, NHL, MLB, not an ad, but, you know, just want to add some context for the listeners at home. Let's go to the NHL draft lottery simulator and let's both click on it and let's see what results come up. Let's try to predict today's NHL draft lottery as best as we can. Oh, I got an upset. Okay, you already clicked yours. I'm going to click on mine right now. Okay, uh, tell me your upset and then I'll tell you what happened with mine. The St. Louis Blues get Connor Bedard. No. Yeah. No way. Followed by Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago. Wow. Yeah. They're like 10th or 11th in best odds. Yeah, they moved up nine spots. They, I think they're 10th. Oh. It can happen. When the Blackhawks got Patrick Kane, they had like the fifth, they had like an 8% chance. They were like the fifth best odds. It happens. Man, I got Arizona jumping five spots to first, which. Do you think the NHL wants that? Like the NHL's pet project, but do they want Connor Bedard in in Arizona? I've long had Uh, this conspiracy theory, like like everyone's talking about frozen envelopes and stuff. For me, it's 
guaranteeing that Arizona gets the number fourth pick because Mitchkoff lines up perfectly with their arena, where he'll finally be coming over the year that they open their arena. So Arizona can get Mitchkoff. I think that's my that's been my conspiracy theory all year is that Mitchkoff and Arizona is the perfect match. That's actually a really good idea and nowhere near as overt as wanting Connor Bedard to play in Arizona, which, oh God, if Connor Bedard plays in Arizona, he will have to play in a 5,000 seat rink for the next few years. And I don't know if people want that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Even the league, which, you know, you know, that's their pet project and everything and protecting Arizona at all costs. I don't know if they really want that. I don't know if I want that. I look Arizona. They have a good core. They've got some good young players. It, they, I mean, he could make them pretty darn good pretty quick. He would make. He would like ramp up their contention window, like oh. bring it a lot closer than what it should be. But like, am I allowed to say I want him to go to Anaheim? I want Eric Stevens to be happy in this case. You're mentioning all the different <laughs> drillers who would be happy. I just like what they have going on there. That was that was a bad team, but I mean Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris. Uh, Mason Mason McTavish, like they have some really Jamie Drysdale, they have some really cool prospects there. And if they get Connor Bedard there, they might not be like contenders right away. But I just like that cool assembly of young talent there, and I just feel like it would just be the coolest just for him. He's also the Pacific Division too, so I guess there's some other Pacific Division teams like the Flames who would not like that. But I would love to just get the opportunity to at least see him like two three times a year. Like that would be really fun. Yep. There's a part of me that wants to see a team like St. Louis win it. Like if St. Louis or Detroit, teams that have been – well, Detroit, Detroit's hard because they, they, they've had such bad lottery luck over the years. Yeah. Uh, and they've been in this rebuild for like 114 years. And Steve Eiserman, because he's Steve Eiserman, gets the longest leash in NHL history and nobody's allowed to say anything bad about him. But the Ooh. fact that they were still trading futures, they were trading good young players like Philip Ronick for futures this year and everyone in Detroit was still happy about it. Like, I'd love to see Detroit kind of – I think that's a team that the NHL would like to see Bedard at, like a Detroit or a Philadelphia, kind of a big market that's not actively trying to lose. I think that would be a nice setup that the league would be cool with. But I, you, you kind of don't want to see these teams that are at the bottom just be awful forever either. You need what to see something Vancouver? good happen. What about oh, Vancouver? God. Where he's the from. Poor kid. Like, the poor kid. Yeah, he went right? to Vancouver. Like, it, My God. He goes to Vancouver. He would be heralded as their savior. He'd go without a point in the first game, and they'd run him right out of town already. Oh my God! Okay, give him a bit of grace. Give him three. Give him three games. Give him three games in Vancouver. This is Vancouver, man. They don't give you three games. I uh, here's here's. <laughs> I'm gonna say this, and I know yes. this is uh, the Monday is tends to be the Canadian version of the show. We cannot yes. have Connor Bedard in Canada. He can't go to Montreal. He because you've already got Matthews and you've already got uh, McDavid. You need the NHL needs a superstar like that in the States. And Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the world, but he doesn't have the superstar aura that McDavid has. He doesn't have the, you know, the the PR team behind him that Matthews has. We need one of these guys has to be in the United States. Has to be. You cannot have all three of them in Canada. Plus, you know, dry sidles up there. Like we can't have every top prospect be in Canada because Montreal is a massive market for the NHL. Nobody in the United States cares, though. Nobody in Nashville cares. Nobody in Florida cares. It's got to be in the States. For him to become the kind of star the NHL needs him to be, I hate to say it, and this sounds you know all jingoistic of me, and I ain't that guy, but the NHL needs him south of the border. Okay, but also 
we complain all the time about how bad the NHL is at marketing its stars. Does right. it really matter if he goes to Anaheim or Arizona or Columbus or Chicago if the NHL might still bungle how to market him in the first place? Well, like, sure. But I, under- I understand that, like, okay, fine. Like, Austin Matthews and all those guys are in Canada and pe- people in America don't care about Canada. But for a guy like Austin Matthews, who's at least in Toronto, that's at least the one Canadian city Americans can name. Yeah. Like, they, I don't really feel they've marketed him all that well. Nathan McKinnon should have a superstar aura. He has he a Stanley Cup. He is exciting to watch. He is a top. You could say he's a top three player. Not You could say he is a top three player in this league. You could even make arguments at different points that he should be number two because of the accolades that he has. Kale McCarr is a top five player in this league as well. And Kale McCarr should be in there. Yeah, there's plenty of guys that should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bedard, with Bedard, you get, to, you get to start fresh. Yes, but also like. The NHL has to show me that they are able to market this guy properly. And I also understand, too, because of the culture of hockey and how certain things that they say, you know, being all about the team and not necessarily saying things to put themselves out there. Like you remember when when Connor Bedard, I think like right after the the gold medal game was asked about some of like the cool stuff. Like he had that comment about, you know, yeah. oh, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about the team. Like, God, the way part- that every hockey writer fawned all over oh, him for that made me sick. Man. It made me like, sick, man. It's like, all right, we get it. Hockey's a team sport. I'm, I'm with like, you. I, I get it. Like, we're, we're so no. insufferable. Hockey people, we're just so insufferable, all of us. Like there's a part of me that saw that. And I was like, okay, good on the kid for, you know, not affecting <laughs> – you know, there's how scouts look at him. He's like, oh, he's a selfless player. But there's another part of me that just want to go to the kid and be like, what are you doing? Like, like <laughs> you should be fun. You should be cool. You should like, I'll you, say this. you're dope I'll on say, the ice. Be dope. I'll say this for hockey. And, and this is, this doesn't matter as much as it used to because we're in the cord cutting era and the streaming era and all that. But yeah. ESPN and Turner having broadcast rights in the States, it's, they're, they're doing a better job of, of, of elevating some of these names and, and giving them higher profiles you know, people still watch SportsCenter and that horrible first take show. I, they, they still kind of watch those. So if you put them on those shows, it's different than being on NBC Sports Network, which did a good job covering hockey, but just didn't have the reach. So if you bring in an 18-year-old phenom and you put him in a major American city, ESPN is going to glom onto him. And they're going to do what they do, which is make them a bigger deal than they probably should be. That's what ESPN does. That's what they're great at. And that's what the NHL needs them to do. That's why ESPN is a rights holder. NHL desperately needed ESPN's cachet and power to make these guys stars again. And, you know, one year in, you know, a guy like Connor Bedard coming in can change the game in that respect. It's never going to be, you're never going to be LeBron James or Steph Curry. That's just not hockey's place in America. But you need, you need an an American-based young megastar who's exciting. And we're at the point now where I feel like everyone's heard of Connor Bedard now, so he's going to come in with a lot of. I, I'm on. I, I, I'm in the. I'm, I'm about to sit down and write a column saying to pump the brakes on Connor Bedard. I feel like we are out of freaking control with this kid, like out of control. Like, like the, the 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 common everyone knows what's his NHL comp. I keep hearing Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane's great. He's the greatest American that ever played. He's a Hall of Famer. He was the best player in the world exactly one season, 2015-16. That's fair. Patrick Kane doesn't single-handedly change the game. I so mean, he, he did a damn good job. I mean, him and I mean, Tate. Changed, I mean, that's the he, thing. Him and Tate. His impact is huge because everyone who's 25 years old or younger plays like Patrick Kane now. And they all cite Patrick Kane as their favorite player. But yeah. he, by himself, would not have been enough to do, for the Blackhawks to do what they did. They had Marion Hosea and Jonathan Taves. They had so many stars aligned at the same time. Connor Bedard is not going to come in and make the Anaheim Ducks 
the greatest team in the world for a, a decade. No. Connor McDavid's the greatest player who ever lived, and Edmonton's still trying to get over the hump eight years later. I'm just saying, we are putting way too much on this kid. I mean... Way too much. I don't think... I mean, I think he elevates a franchise. I'm not... There's That's the thing about hockey. Like, there's no one player who brings right. it... It's not like basketball, and even basketball to a certain extent, there's that element of team too. But Connor Bedard will not elevate a franchise to the point where they are... Is standing the cup contender. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've seen anyone do that. I'm not saying necessarily you're saying that, but like he, you can't, you can't dispute the fact no, that that's he what will I'm change too. a franchise. I, I, that's yeah. what I'm saying is let's pump the brakes because he's not going to fix everything for one of these horrible teams. That's fair. If he's on the Blackhawks next year, the Blackhawks are still going to suck. Yeah, sorry about that. They're going to be looking for a top five pick again next year. They'll just sell more jerseys and more tickets, which is great, I guess. But this is one player plays. One third of the game. I'm still thinking about your your first take comment and thinking about how earlier this year where Stephen A. Smith said oh, that uh, the only yeah. the only thing he likes about hockey is the puck. And I'm just trying yeah. to picture like Stephen A. Smith just trying to be prepared to ask uh, Connor Bedard questions. And then he's got to do some like Twitter apology that's so disingenuous. It's just such a joke, man. <laughs> Every time I should have taken it. He will. Connor Bedard will not be mentioned on first take. I take that back. You are correct. I mean. Unless they get PK there and they let PK run the show. PK's been on first take. I just, it's, it's frustrating with ESPN because they do so many things well and their website's so great for hockey and they do a good job at the, not better than the athletic though. And then, then, no, certainly not. And then, uh, but (laughs) they, they just, they, they're so dismissive of hockey, a team, a a sport that they have paid a lot of money for the rights to. And they're just like hockey. (laughs) And it's just, it's just infuriating, man. It's just infuriating. Okay. We got to get to some other stuff. Uh, I think we've gone through enough of the Connor Bedard conversation. Where do you want him to go? What's your number one pick for the, for Connor Bedard? I want Anaheim. I want Anaheim for sure. Um, If he goes to a Canadian city, which in this case would probably be the Montreal Canadiens. I would not be mad at that. It would be kind of fun to see him play uh, for an illustrious franchise like the Montreal Canadiens. Vancouver as well. It would be kind of funny considering all the... I don't know if they deserve it considering the way that they went about their year, but it would be kind of fun to see him play for his hometown team. So I think my power rankings would be Anaheim, Montreal, Vancouver is like my top three teams I'd want to see him play okay. for. I, selfishly for me, I want him to come to Chicago because I want to write about Yes, him. yes. Uh, but objectively speaking, I'd, I'd like to see Columbus win because they tried to win this year, right? And then things bad things happened to them. They went out and they got Johnny. They Gaudreau were injured to hell and, and back. Yeah, like I feel like that's a team that that if you're looking for the word deserves, like they they I would like to see a good thing happen to Columbus. They've lost so many star players over the years. I'd like to see a good thing happen to Columbus. That's a bigger city than I think most people realize, and it would be good for the league. I think the league wants them in Philadelphia or Detroit, though. Chicago, they'd love it if he was in Chicago. Philadelphia but or Detroit. I think I think they'd like to see it. I think those would be very good for the league if he's in Philly or Detroit. I would love to see Connor Bedard play for John Tortorella. You're absolutely oh, right. God, that would be a nightmare now that you mention it. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Well, well hey. Block you know, shots, Connor. Why aren't you blocking enough shots, Connor? You want him in an American market so he could be marketed better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, until the NHL proves me otherwise, I feel justified in my skepticism of Connor Bertard being marketed properly. They can't no, even do are, that. Yeah, you are wholly justified. Absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of big markets, I, I, we'll get to playoff games, but we should talk about the fact that Gerard Gallant is no longer head coach of the Rangers. And there is a serious discussion at some point that I do want to get to with, with the discourse around the Rangers and who the next coach could be. But let's start with the fact that he's no longer head coach after uh, the Devils-Rangers series played out the way that it did. Uh, The Rangers had a 2-0 series lead, then the Devils woke up, and now the Rangers are done, and now Gallant is done. How do you feel about that move? How do you feel about him being gone as head coach? I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, he had 200-point-plus seasons, uh, and then went to the conference final last year. Yeah. They lose lose in seven games this year, and he gets fired? Which is, it, it's kind of crazy. But at the same time, you know, Gallant does a lot of things well. Players like playing for him. He's a great regular season coach. He is not a tactician. No. And when you get to the playoffs, you kind of need someone who's worried about the matchups and who's worried about the adjustments. The Rangers didn't make any adjustments once, you know, they won the first two games. They just played that way all the way through. Even when, you know, Lindy Ruff and the Devils figured out how to get their transition game going again, Gallant never really responded. And I can understand if you're the Rangers' perspective, you're thinking, look, this guy's good, but he is not going to win us a Stanley Cup. He does not have the playoff-style acumen to win us a Stanley Cup. I can kind of understand it, but it's still shocking. I was cynical of me. I was like, oh, it's because they're going to go get Joel Quenville. Um, and I was, I had lots of thoughts on that, let me tell you. And oh, then, I, I, wa- I want some of those <laughs> thoughts. Let's, let's, let's keep talking about this, but save those thoughts because that's where I want the discussion Larry to go. Brooks of the New York Post reported that Quenville's not on their list. So then I'm thinking, well, what the hell are they doing, right? Like, you in a cold, cynical world, you could say, yes, Joel Quenville's a better coach than Gerard Gallant, and he would give a star-laden team a better chance to win the Stanley Cup. He knows how to coach. He's a master of matchups and playoff adjustments. His record, I, my, my old colleague at the Sun-Times, Mark Potash, used to keep this stat. His record in games five, six, and seven is he's got like a 95% winning percentage. It's absolutely Jeez. incredible. He is probably the best you know, in in series adjuster the league's ever seen. I mean, Scotty Bowman included. So I get it, but if you're just gonna go get some like, you know, you have to call up the minor league coach from uh, uh, from uh, the AHL or or just some other retread because this is the NHL and it's always retreads. Then I'm like, maybe maybe you should have given Gallant another chance because he was doing a pretty good job, wasn't he? Like this is a really strange situation in New York. So you don't like so like Peter Laviolette might not be better than Gerard Gallant, especially oh, if you forget how the many times do we have to hire the same people? <laughs> I said that about Peter DeBoer and Peter DeBoer everywhere he goes he wins, but it's like oh my god, how many? How could you keep getting fired and keep getting jobs immediately afterwards? I don't know how that works. I don't understand how that is. Are there only thirty two people in the world who know how to coach hockey? I don't understand this at all. But it's just the it, it, the familiarity and and you know the the coaching tree the brethren. It's like how Peter Chiarelli is a candidate for every single GM job every single time. It's like have we learned nothing? 
I don't know. Shout out Peter Shirelli, though. Is he? I think he's in St. Louis now. I want to say. I, I think he's got like he's some at. kind of like an advisory role there. Yeah. Well, the one the one name I keep seeing floated around that makes me laugh is Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter for the next <laughs> two years is going to be eight million dollars and will probably be back in Viking Alberta on his farm, just you know tending to his cattle or whatever he has. I've never been to his farm. Why the hell would he leave his farm life to go coach in New York? And I want to say kudos to Calgary for doing that because, like, you know, we've all heard about how much friction was going on between the players and Sutter in that room. It, it was a bad fit even when they succeeded. It was like that's different than what's happening in New York where they just mm-hmm. were losing in the playoffs. Um, that, that's a lot of money to swallow. And I think I feel like 5, 10, 15 years ago, especially in a market like Calgary, that never would have happened. They never would have swallowed that much money. Uh, but they realized they had no choice. They had to make that move for the good of the team. And uh, it's good to see teams that are, you know, willing to eat some money for the betterment of their, you know, of their franchise. Eighty-four million is more than eight million. Yes, yes, exactly. And and, and when I say eighty-four million, I, you know, Jonathan Huberto will come to mind, and there are other guys with money as well. But I mean, I guess here's the thing with Daryl Sutter too. Like Tyler Toffoli has has sung his praises at different points. I remember at the exit interviews, uh, Nikita Zadorov mentioned some good things. There's an interview circling around. Where Troy Stetcher, who was on the who was acquired from Arizona by Calgary, spoke to uh, Canucks media and said that he liked Daryl. There are guys in that room I think who like Daryl. It's just yep. that they were definitely outweighed by people who probably did not. Not probably Daryl Sutter is like a Darryl. really good coach with an incredible track record, but he, he's a certain style that isn't yep. really that doesn't really mesh with young players that come up now. You talk to. When you talk to coaches around the league, they say, look, I've had to adjust the way I treat people now. Like, I have to talk to them differently. I have to manage them differently. I can't just staple them to the bench and not tell them why. Daryl Sutter is as old school as old school gets. And that can succeed in the NHL. And there are veterans who are going to love that. Like, you know, the Blackhawks, you know, loved playing for Joel Quenville. It was a country club atmosphere, but he would just absolutely bench your ass if you did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And some guys love that. And some guys want one of these young communicator types who will sit down you know, next to your locker and put his arm around you and ask you how you're doing. And, you know, what can, what can we do to help make you and put you in a better spot? Like that's how, you know, this next generation. And I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Like I would love to see, you know, I don't like seeing these guys getting berated and screamed at and, and treated like, you know, cattle. Uh, it's good to see that these, these modern coaches have a modern outlook on these things because the players demand it. The players are taking control of their lives. And, you know, this is what happened in Calgary is like, Daryl Sutter is just not everyone's cup of tea. Nah, and that's man. fine. But what's really interesting is that, like, and and one of their rookies, actually, Jacob Peltier, was was quoted in Jordan de Montréal kind of explaining the dynamic of Daryl, where he could be this guy who, like, if you do something wrong, like, he will let you know about it. He will yell and he'll do all that stuff. But if you're, like, leveling with him in, like, just, like, a normal way, like, he could come across as a nice guy, but that's what makes him so confusing. And I think also contributes to a big out. Like, I don't want to say two faced, but like, it's very confusing to have a guy who's going to ream you at practice yeah. for doing something wrong. But then like, we'll, we'll come to you behind your, we'll, we'll come to you behind the scenes and be like, Hey man, you actually played well, which in that, I don't know if you remember the Jacob Pelty story where uh, he makes his NHL debut. And we all asked Daryl like, Hey, like, what'd you think of the kid's debut? Oh, yeah. And he's like, what number is he? 
Like that was that was bad. Like in the moment, like we were all thinking, like okay, like that's just Daryl being Daryl, and I think the players thought that too. But the fact that that story took such a life of its own outside of that market, and people like like media people, I know people in the front office were not happy. People were generally upset about what happened, and and there are players who you know it's one thing for them to be like Daryl is Daryl, but I think there are guys who were generally not happy about how that went down. Like. I really didn't expect that. I thought we were just going to let that blow over because that's just Daryl and people just assume that's just what it is. But I was genuinely surprised at how people just took that as like a like a, a, a point of not contention, but people were upset about that. Yeah, and they should be. Like, we should treat people like human beings, right? Like, it, it, it's not too much to ask. It's funny. You talk about how confusing it is to, to, for, with Daryl. It's confusing as a reporter, which I'm sure you know well. If you oh, talk absolutely. to him... If you talk to him on a practice day, he's telling stories, he's funny, he's going on and on and on for your feature story. It's, it's the best. You talk to him on a game day, it's one-word answers. It's two-word answers. He's completely Dude. dismissive of everything you ask. I covered him for a couple of playoff series, three playoff series over the years, and I, I learned never ask a question on a game day. There's no point. But on off days, he was one of my favorite coaches ever. He was like the my nicest, happiest, you know, most relaxed guy ever. Like he is just – he's – Got both sides of that personality. And as a player, I can certainly imagine it's hard to know where you stand with a guy when, like you said, he's doing that stuff in public and then coming around and, you know, saying, hey, how you doing, buddy? I've seen Daryl, like, talk to reporters about what they did for vacation and, like, being all nice to them. And then, like, the very next day, just be like, well, if you watch the game, you would have noticed this. Like, <laughs> like I can't handle that. Like, I, I got lucky. The old, the worst I ever got with Daryl was when uh, I asked who, was, who he was starting at debt. He was like... He legit said, like, I know you're due here, but don't ask me that question. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're spending a lot of time on, on Daryl Sutter. But the Joel Quenville discourse that had, that did come up over the weekend, it should be noted, too. Stan Bowman also was brought up. Elliot Freeman on Hockey yeah. Night in Canada mentioned uh, the Flames and the Penguins uh, are among teams interested in in having Stan Bowman as their as their GM. As we as I understand, both Quenville and Bowman have yet to be reinstated by the league after their actions from what happened in Chicago. But like the fact that both of those men's names have been thrown out there in the cycle for some of those job vacancies, I know I don't feel great about it. I would love to know how you feel about it. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> no, um, I don't, I don't you know, like it, it. It's funny. When, 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 the, when the Rangers fired Gallant, the way I process my thoughts is by usually writing. I write. So I started kind of noodling around on a column of what would I write? If this happened, if the Rangers hired Joel Quenville and I'm of two minds on it because from what I understand, I've spoken to a lot of people about this over the past several months, anticipating that this would happen eventually is Joel Quenville's putting in the work. He is talking to people, uh, un not, not like mandated, like this isn't like court mandated stuff where he is calling people and talking for hours on end with, with people who are, uh, you know, social progress leaders in the hockey world, what he did wrong, why it was wrong how he could approach it in the future. It seems to me that he is putting in the effort. And isn't that what we want? We want these guys. We don't want to just punish people. We want to rehabilitate people, right? We want to, we, we should want guys to acknowledge their mistakes, to own their mistakes and to improve themselves. And then we should give them second chances. That's what, that's what we should want, right? We shouldn't just excommunicate these people from society if they're putting in an honest effort to improve themselves. But I also think that every single person who was in that room, including Kevin Dayoff, who got off scot-free for this, Stan Bowman, John McDonough, Al McIsaac, Jay Blanc, Joel Quenville, and Kevin Dayoff, who was the assistant GM at the time, none of them should ever be in hockey again. 
because they just what they did was so unforgivable and so egregious and so callous and so indifferent that I have a really hard time imagining a world where I'd be happy that they're back in the league. So I'm of two minds on it. Uh, it, it, it I would probably prefer that this not be an issue. I would, I would love for NHL teams to not even consider them, to say, you know what? This is not a person that I want leading my young men, that I want in charge of my, that, that's the face and the voice of our franchise. I would like for it not to be an issue because no, they, nobody would want to hire them. But this is hockey. And Joel Quenville is one of the best coaches we've ever seen. Like I said, mm-hmm. his track record is impeccable on the ice. And it's not the least bit surprising that, you know, he's going to be back. Joel Quenville's going to be back in the NHL at some point, whether it's the Rangers or not. At some point, he's going to be back in the NHL. And I'm just, he hasn't said anything publicly to own up to this, right? He, even after the Jenner and Block report put him in that room, he said he had no recollection. He does, I, I didn't know about this until the lawsuits came up 11 years later. So I, he does not deserve the benefit of the doubt yet. He is going to have to go on some kind of serious tour, uh, apology tour and explanation of everything that he's gone through in the last two years before I can buy the idea of him being back in the NHL. It, it's, it's going to take a lot. And again, I just wish that, you know, there are seven and a half billion people in the world. Is Joel Quenville the only guy? Is he the only guy you could hire as your head coach? I would like to say, I would like to see the team say, no, nah, no, nah, we don't want that. We don't want the PR hit and we don't want the toxic a, a personality traits that led to this in the first place, we're just going to find someone else. But that's not how the NHL works. Like I said, this is the retread league of all retread leagues. And Joel Quenville will be back in the NHL. And he's got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do for anyone to be even mildly okay with that. I like Here's where I, I've, I, I'm going to try to organize my thoughts about this as best as I can. And I think this applies for both men. And you touched on it with the work that has to be done uh, for them to get to even a point. Or at least I want to touch on that point. Like, I, I want to know what work that they did. Like, you're saying you want to believe that Joel Quenville is talking to progressive people. Like, I want to know about that. I want to know. Yeah. I would want to know every single thing that he's done to warrant an apology and to warrant a second chance. I'm with you. I think he will end up in a situation where he returns to the National Hockey League because he was such a good coach that uh, with all these teams interested in him, it's going to happen. He will get that second chance. It's what happens. It's the cream always rises to the top, no matter how poisonous they might truly be. Joel Quenville will get that second chance. And maybe that applies to Stan Bowman, too, as an exact, considering the, the, the success that he's had. I really want to know what they would have done to warrant that second chance, because I do not feel uh, at ease with just those two just being put into whatever organization they end up with. And then a G or a president of hockey operations just saying, well, they were reinstated. So that should be enough. Like, right. I, I think at this point now, considering what we have seen with the Block and Jenner report, I'm going to throw in Logan Mayu as well. Uh, and so many other horrible stories that have surfaced uh, in the hockey world over the last few years. Like, I think if you are going to go down that road, and I'm not even saying that's the right thing to do. I, I, I don't think Quenville should get a second chance. I said that. I don't know if Bowman should get a second chance. If teams are going to do that, because that is the way where players or or troubled people get those second opportunities, those teams better be upfront about why they're getting that second chance. And if they do any type of ducking, like that's that's they're in the wrong. Like you could tell, you could totally tell that they're doing this with with total disregard for a victim 
in this particular case, Kyle Beach, because Joel Quenville getting a second chance or Stan Bowman getting a second chance. Kyle Beach is not getting that second chance to play in the league. No. So I don't think that's fair. Kyle Beach was saddled with, quote unquote, character issues. Yeah. And never never played in the NHL. And where did that come from? That came from the Blackhawks. Yep. The Blackhawks decided he had character issues. That was what we always heard. So why should those guys get a second chance? Everyone that was in that room. to, To do it. Everyone yep. that was in that room after game four of the Western Conference final in 2010, when this was called to their attention, not one of them had the guts to stand up. Not even the guts, the decency to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. No, none of them went to the press. None of them went to the police. None of them went to human resources. Not one of them had the courage to stand up and say, no, we can't just sweep this under the rug. For an assistant video coach to protect yep. the guy who cut clips for special teams meetings. That was more important than their, than a player on the team, than, than a human being. God, yeah. I, yeah. When, you, when you read the Jenner block board, and I, read, I, I went back and I read it again this weekend. And just, you know, there are multiple, uh, uh, you know, I, who knows if everyone's covering their own asses in this, but there are multiple accounts that Quenville was all agitated by. And, oh, it's, it's been too hard to get here. We can't have this distraction, yada, yada, yada. Like that callous disregard, that says something about somebody. And I don't think anybody that was in that room should be allowed in the NHL because not one of them had the courage to do this, to, to do the obvious thing, not even the right thing, the obvious thing. Not one of them did. And I have a really tough time forgiving that. And even in spite of that, we will likely still hear Joel and Stan's names mentioned in the rumor mill for more of these vacancies. Joel Quenville wrote a letter of recommendation, basically, for Aldrich. Yep. To HR a month a month or two later. Congratulations on winning the Stanley Cup. Use an exclamation point. Joel Quenville used an exclamation point. That's I don't know. I, I just and then he went and then three years later he you know gets convicted of criminal sexual conduct with a minor because the Blackhawks did not stop him. You're gonna uh, like like the ultimate point I'm trying to say. You're gonna have to convince this to everyone else why these people deserve second chances considering what I want to, I want to be the bigger man here and look at the bigger picture and say we want it we want people to rehabilitate I want to be that guy I don't think I'm that guy I just don't want them in the league I don't know if this and I don't know I get people are going to hop on us and say people deserve second chances and you did bring it up at the beginning and look I'm all for second chances too but for this I really have a hard hard time reconciling with that i have like especially in 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 the market i'm into just the idea of like stan bowman being a gm where there's still a couple years off from the bill peters thing happening and the president of hockey operations is saying he wants someone progressive and and someone on the cusp of getting their chance like that is a complete 180 on what they would want ideally and like they would get like no that would not be that would not play out well uh in in the media here i would think even if stan bowman has the resume that he has but you know, we're, we're just going to have to get used to the fact that these names are just going to be trotted out there. Because like, it's one thing to go through the retread carousel. But if you're going to go through the not even reinstated carousel, like, jeez. <laughs> it, says it says something about the league and the people running it. Yes. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Let's talk about uh, some of the uh, NHL action that's happened in the last little while. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Edmonton Oilers uh, at some point, but I do want to start with this Panthers-Leafs series because the Florida Panthers, uh, at the beginning of the playoffs, I'm pretty sure a lot of people thought, hey, you know what? This is a team that might win one or two games against the Boston Bruins. Not only have they upset of the Boston Bruins in the first round, they are now three up on the Toronto Maple Leafs as we speak. And they don't play again until Wednesday. So that means there is so much time for Leafs fans to cry over the core four <laughs> and to see all these mock trade proposals of, of Mitch Barter getting shipped out because his NMC kicks in on July 1st. You're talking about Connor Bedard and whether or not Arizona might want him. They might not even have to wait. Maybe Austin Matthews joins them when his guy. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm obviously kidding he's not I don't think I mean I would be stunned if it got to that point but the fact that the Leafs remember Leafs fans they really wanted to go to round two man it was the first time they had done it since 2004 look what what, what is it that Leafs fans wanted they wanted to win a round they, they never said anything about winning games nope. in the second round that's it. They never, they never say anything about that. You got to be more specific with the monkey paw wish. You got to be more Absolutely. specific. Because now we could just say, if, if they get swept, we could just say, the Leafs haven't won a second round playoff game since 2004. We could just keep the storyline going, basically, because it means nothing that you won the first round if you couldn't get a single win in the second round. It has been almost 7,000 days <laughs> since the Leafs won a second round game. I looked this up the other day. It is like 6,000 947 days now since but, they won a second here, round game. But here's the thing. Here's what we love and hate about Toronto, right? Is they right. go out there on Wednesday and they win game four. Oh, they're winning the series. Oh, we get, we got this. We, we <laughs> Everything's fixed now. We can beat, we can beat the Panthers four straight. Yeah, we want, we want Carolina. We want Carolina. I mean, totally. I've got in the bag. Like the, the, there is, there is no fan base that goes from. Well, no, that's not true. Pittsburgh is. is it, it, Pittsburgh goes from zero to sixty back to zero faster than anybody. Damn. But Toronto's a close second where they are. We're the best, but we're the worst. We're the best. We're the worst. There, there's no perspective from game to game. You know, I I, I always write about for years now. I've, like I I don't know whether I believe momentum exists in the playoffs. If like yeah. it carries from game to game, I know it exists within games, but 
I always ask players if they believe that. If if you win game three, does that carry over to game four? And most of them usually say no. But oh my God, in Toronto, it sure does. If you lose a game, you're losing every game forever from now on. If you win a game, you are never losing again. I love it. It's so fun <laughs> to just watch from afar. Like as, as, a, as a charter member of Team Chaos over here with no dogs in the fight, it is objectively hilarious what is happening right now. And if the Leafs go and they win, they win four in a row, it's a great story. It'd be so cool. Yeah. Like, I'm good either way, man, because it's either hilarious or it's awesome. I'm good either way, man. I still can't believe, though. I think someone put up the stat, like, Tavares, Marner, Matthews, like, no goals through the first three games of this series. Remember, people were were cheering Austin Matthews in the last series because he scored a goal at a clutch moment. Yeah. Like, what's, what's really interesting for me is seeing all of the goodwill from that first round series. Because remember, there were videos of Leaf fans celebrating the oh, OT yeah. goal. The, the, like people like Morgan Riley and Alex Kerfoot, Kerfoot, who were dogged by Leaf fans all season. John Tavares, too, who were dogged by fans all season. They came up huge in that series. Heroes and like nowhere to be found. Tavares, the most maligned captain in the league, probably was all of a sudden, my captain! Oh, captain, my captain! We love you, Johnny Tavares! Hilarious. John Tavares might be the most maligned point of game player I have ever seen. <laughs> well, let's, let's trade Marner. Yeah, let's trade our 99 uh, <laughs> point freaking Selkie finalist. Selkie trophy finalist. <laughs> Dog. No, but seriously, John Tavares, like Mitch Marner, I mean, you know, that's a whole other story in itself. But John Tavares, if he was virtually in any other market, he would not get half the hate he gets. This is a kid oh, no. who put a, there was the photo of him sleeping in the, in the Maple Leafs blanket <laughs> and everybody looking at his stats and saying to hell with that. You make $11 million. How dare you be a point of game player? It's incredible. <gasps> I mean, that's what oh, we do. Is, that's what hockey fans do. That's what we do. Like Rangers fans turning on Artemi Panarin, an $11.5 million player because he's not oh, producing. Yeah. He's, he's that's, you know, is that the art? Is that why they traded uh, a fired Gerard Gallant? Cause they need someone to unlock Artemi Panarin, unlock him. He's been on like my MVP ballot like four straight years. The guy's awesome. <laughs> He's like a good player. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, um, I realize we did not provide any significant analysis about why the Leafs are in the hole that they're in. I think that's okay. But, but it I is think objectively Ford- funny. Yes. <laughs> it, is. it is. It is. I'm sorry. It is. Here's the thing. I don't have no dog. I have no dog in the race. Uh again, I'm with I'm with Mark. Like, if if the Leafs actually come back and win the next four games. That is a really interesting story. I, I remember cool when story. the Rap- when the Raptors made their their NBA championship run. It was really cool to see the way Toronto was like going nuts. Absolutely, for it. like I like seeing that. You know, I, I like seeing droughts end. I think it would be great. I'm just this is the way it has to be. It's either they got to win it all or they got to lose like this. Because if they mm-hmm. just like lose in six or seven games to the Panthers or they make it to the conference final and lose in five, that, that's like, yeah, whatever. It's got to be spectacular on either side. And thank God that's what's happening. Oh man, uh, it just—I just can't believe it. Just, just be careful with you what you wish for. I guess you kind of have to. And let's give let's give Florida some credit here. They were the they were the Absolutely. President's Trophy team last year, you know. And they've got Matthew Kachuk, who's you know we're talking. You know, we keep saying that this guy's in the top three. This guy's in the top three. Kachuk might be in the top three players in the world too. Uh, this is a good mm. team, and they got major 2012 Kings vibes here, where Bobrovsky's looking like Jonathan Quick. And this is looking like a team of destiny and all that. We've seen this before. Uh, and and maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that Florida was kind of coasting there in the regular season for a while because they look like the team that we saw last year. They just look like a great team. I think if the Panthers make round three and Matthew Kachuk 
I mean, I think he's already done enough to have a start having that conversation. But if he definitely plays a role in game four, we might have to do a whole other podcast on whether or not Matthew Kachuk really is a top five player in this league. Well, that's I mean, we're going to we're going to get to Leon Dreisaitl here, too, who is looking like the best player that ever lived all of a sudden. Uh, you know, who's <laughs> Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Matthew Kachuk, uh, uh, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Like there's who's your top three right now? Like it's. This is we're in a golden age of stardom in the NHL right now. The top three right now, and we could get to Leon Dreisaitl. My top three right now: Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. Oh God, um, this is what, it's impossible. Whatever you say here, you're going to regret five minutes later. Leon Dreisaitl's in the Kale top McCarr. three now. It's probably man. Kale McCarr. It could be, but I think it's Leon now, man. Like this is, this is what Leon Dreisaitl. Impossible. Leon Dreisaitl has 13 goals through eight playoff games. Evander Kane and Nathan McKinnon had 13 goals to lead the playoffs last year. Yeah. Leon Dreisaitl's freaking awesome. Last year, he was awesome on one leg. On like, one leg. Again, this is – he. Had, there's so many we, – we talked about this a little bit the last time I was on the, the podcast. Uh, the fact that he's in Edmonton, the fact that he's playing in McDavid's shadow – the fact that he's not North American, all these things play against us, giving Leon Dreisaitl the respect he clearly deserves. He is unbelievable. He's a 50-goal scorer. He's an MVP. And he's like an afterthought. Like, most hockey fans, you ask for their top three players, won't mention Leon Dreisaitl. Which is a shame. It, 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 it's, it's, like what, it's like what Evgeny Malkin used to face, but like on steroids. Like, Malkin never got the credit because he was because Crosby was there and because he, he was Russian and all this. You know, it, it, it's magnified even more with Dreisaitl because being in Edmonton, it's just not a major, it, it, his games are on too late for most of the continent to watch. And, and most people just see the box scores and don't see the player. He's freaking unbelievable. Jay Woodcroft was was talking about it the other day. He was saying he is the ideal power forward now because of the size and strength that he has and the skill he has. There's not a lot of guys like that left in the NHL, true power forwards. Nope. That play that nope. style of game. That's the thing is, Connor McDavid is always going to be more exciting to watch than Leon Dreisaitl. Leon Dreisaitl is not a flashy player. He's not dangling and doing – he's just scoring a lot of freaking goals. And he's the best passer in the world. Yeah. So it's, – it's, it's insane how it's got to that point. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, to say, though, that series uh, tied at one. Uh, game three will be tonight. Uh, actually, no. Sorry. I'm getting my, my games crossed up here. It's like game three or game four. My brain is completely been fried. I'm trying to remember what game is supposed to be tonight with the Oilers and the Golden Knights. Well, this stupid NBA-style schedule we got with all these days off in between games. Oh, my God. Really throwing me through a loop, man. Just play every other day. That's the way the hockey gods intended. Okay, game three is tonight. Sorry about that. I had a a mini brain fart. That being said, that game two, the power play, the way it clicked for the Edmonton Oilers, three for six, the movement, the passing, the scoring. We just have to shout that out really quickly. Incredible. Really awesome. It, it's amazing to me that, like, why, why? <laughs> I watched the Blackhawks for years with, you know, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Marion Hosa, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, all these superstars, Patrick Sharp, suck on the power play for year after year after year <laughs> after year. We see it with so many teams where they just can't get the power play to work. And then you watch Edmonton, it's like, well, why the hell can't everybody do that? You've got an extra guy out there. There's all this room. Why can't everybody just sling the puck around the way they do it? It's really incredible. No, it's, it's, it's really amazing to see. And uh, I don't know, man, that that Oilers team looking like the team to beat uh, for the Stanley Cup right now because of their offensive prowess. But that Vegas team, 
Like, Seattle? I still think that series goes seven. Seattle's there too. I, I think we have to, I might have to stop sleeping on Seattle, man. I really want Dallas to win that series, but the Kraken are so balanced. They get the first goal of the game when they do. It's just like Grubauer's playing a lot better than what we normally expect yeah. him to play. Like, they, they, they might have everything. See, I keep coming back to, you know, I picked Dallas to win the cup at the beginning of the playoffs because they had the goalie, they had the stars, they had the defense, and they had the best path because they didn't have to go through that East gauntlet. I, I still, I think Dallas is the best suited team in the West right now because I don't trust the Oilers goaltending. I don't trust the Kraken goaltending. And Vegas, I just see too many flaws there too, and their goaltending is suspect. Jake Ottinger is a stud. But then you watch last night's game, and it's like, oh my God, what happened to Jake Ottinger? <laughs> Yeah, oh that's God. the playoffs for you. It's just yeah, I, I, my if, if if you if you force me to place a bet right now, it would still be on Dallas. But I feel shakier about that every day. Last thing before we get to uh, the Consmith winner of the week, actually two things real quick because I know we're running low on time a bit. But just any thoughts on on the Devils and the, and the Carolina series going the way that's gone so far? It's really a boring series. <laughs> yeah, I watched, watched every second of that series so far, and. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was looking forward to it because it's two fast teams that love to get in transition. But Carolina is like I know they they got destroyed in Game Three, and 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 the Devils came back from two zero down against the Rangers, and I would never put it past them. Uh, my pick was Dallas over Jersey, so I, I think Jersey can go far. Uh, their goaltending is deeply concerning to me. Uh, you know, Schmid and Vanishek, I'm I'm not confident in either of those guys. Um, mm. Freddie Anderson, I'm not confident in. Auntie Ronza, I love him. I'm not that confident in him. It, it, it's a wild series right now, but Carolina's system is a work of art. And I know that teams are, it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to play against. But the, the plug and play nature of it, where it doesn't matter who's on the ice, they all play exactly the same way. That's a tough team for anyone to beat. And the more I watch them, the more I think, man, Carolina is the best team left right now. Yeah, That's a team I, that I, doesn't matter that, that they lost all their top scores because the way their system works, anyone can score. It's yep, so this, efficient this, and so effective. Yeah, it just works. And and I mean, yeah, the Freddie Anderson goaltending. Yeah, they really didn't look great for against the New Jersey Devils. That's like the, the biggest thing I'm worried about with that team. I mean, they have him. They have Auntie Ranta as well. Piotr what Kuchekov teams left? There. Have, what teams left have goalies you trust? Shesterkin's out. Uh, Vasilevsky's out. I mean, Bobrovsky. Do we trust Bobrovsky? He's I don't playing, know if he's I... playing like vintage Bobrovsky right now. But really, guy lost his job to like five different guys over the last two years. You know, the the Kraken had the worst goaltending duo I've ever seen this regular season. Uh, who's left that you really feel? Stuart Skinner's a rookie. He's got a sweet stash, but is that enough? You know, and and, and, and if he goes Ottinger. down, you go to Jack Campbell, right? You know, uh, the, the, the Leafs, it was Sam Sonov, looked really good, but now he's hurting. Uh, I mean, yeah. it, it's Ottinger. Ottinger is the only, like, true elite goalie that's left in this field, it feels like. And when it comes down to it, goalies are everything. That's true. You don't need the goalie to get you through the playoffs. You need a goalie to get you through the playoffs. And it's just a matter of one of those guys getting hot. That's what's so weird about this goaltending position, too. You could throw out so much money, like to a guy like Sergei Bobrovsky, who's making a bunch of money that he's making, or Igor Shosturkin. You might end up losing to Akira Schmidt. Yeah. And I'll say this. You know, I, I know this is this probably isn't the uh, the lineup that everybody wants to see, the potential Stanley Cup final matchups we have here in terms of ratings, in terms of like size of cities and all that. But this is the most wide-open playoffs I can remember. You can make a case mm -hmm. for every single team to win, and you can make a case for every single team to lose this round. Like, this is wide open. Like, we talk about the goalie factors, 
the injury factors. I could see any one of these eight teams winning the Stanley Cup this year, and that's exciting. Okay, last quick thing before Consmith winner of the week. All the different, uh, some of the different award nominees are starting to come up. Can we just have a quick conversation about Kale McCarr being a Norris Trophy nominee, which sounds really weird to say, to question that because he's so good. But there's so many good defensemen this yeah. year. He was not on I think my were worthy of that. He was he not, was, he, yeah. like, I don't know. It's like, I, I, here's the thing. There are so many good defensemen this year who are, are going to be left off the ballot completely, who have produced just as much, if not more, than Kale McCarr while, yes, playing more games. But, like, I, I don't know. Just I, I, I get that Kale McCarr should be in that discussion. But just this year of all years, it's difficult. It feels lazy to me, like, just to default to Kale McCarr. Because, look, Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the world. Nobody's going to dispute that. He's the best. But he missed more than a quarter of the season. And in this year where you had, you know, Brent Burns and Vince Dunn and Hampus Lindholm and so many good, uh, you know, obviously Adam Fox and Eric Carlson are going to be on every ballot. It's how do you how do you settle on Kale McCarr playing sixty games? I don't care how good he was in those sixty games. He played sixty games. It's not enough. Just, just this year of all years, it's kind of maybe this is a bad analogy to make. I can understand that, like if you leave off Kale McCarr off your 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 ballot, it's sort of like leaving LeBron off your MVP in a weird way. Again, not the most perfect analogy, but because he's so good at his position, like the thought of leaving off Kale McCarr, it's like, well, why would you do that? But like, even if you go through like, like Dom's like defensive and offensive ratings, like you look at guys like a Brent Burns who did as well as they did. Hampus Lindholm should be getting a lot of love. Brent Burns was number two on my ballot. Like he had, man, people slept on Brent Burns this year. He was freaking amazing. And I know the Jacob Slavin factor plays into that when you're playing with Jacob Slavin, but his numbers in isolation were spectacular, offense and defense. He's the perfect fit in that team, and he deserves more credit for his team's successes here than Kale McCarr does. He just does. And well, in any I, case. I, hate to, I hate to say this as a voter, like yes. you shouldn't think this way, but Kale McCarr missing a quarter of the season, that's an opportunity as a voter to recognize someone else, right? Because you have it, it's hard not to vote for Kale McCarr every year for the rest of his career. But this and year, we will. it was easy to do. Because he didn't play a quarter, more than a quarter of the year. He missed 22 games. This was your chance to recognize somebody else who deserves to be in that conversation. And, you know, it, it, it feels like it's just like you default to Kale McCarr. And that shouldn't be how you vote on things. And I, and I understand it's a bit of a moot point because it's either going to go to Eric Carlson or maybe Adam Fox. Yeah. And that's a whole other debate in itself. Eric Carlson is going to win going away. He shouldn't, but he's going to win going away. Is it going to be going away? Going, he's going to win handily. I, I had Fox number one. I had Carlson number two. I know it's supposed to reveal the whole ballot, whatever. Uh, it, it, it Carlson is he had over a hundred points, and that's all. He's going to win going away. I'm sure of it. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I would lot- love to be surprised, but I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting to be surprised. I wonder how close those votes will be because I don't think you're the only person who had Adam Fox number one and Eric Carlson number two. I think other people might think so. I love Eric Carlson. I love the fact that he had this love renaissance Eric season. Just an, one of my favorite players to watch ever. I just, it, it literally says all around defenseman in the description of the trophy. All right. Time for Consmith winner of the week. If you've been following the Monday edition of the show, you know, during the year we had our Jack Adams award winner of the week. We're going to do it with players for the Consmith. Uh, I bring you Mark four potential nominees uh, Joe Pavelski, who had a four-goal game last week, five goals in his last two games. Leon Dreisaitl, who had a four-goal game last week as well, six goals in his last two games. Matthew Kachuk, who has four assists in his last three games. Or Jack Hughes, who had a four-point game against Carolina, 
on Sunday. Uh, between these four men, who do you think is most deserving of the Conn Smythe Trophy winner of the week award? It's it, it's Leon Sebastian Jaguer. It's of course it's Leon. I don't care that he lost. It's Leon. Like this not even this isn't even a discussion. It's Leon, right? Leon it can't Sebastian be anybody but Leon. Jaguar. I mean, I get it because he did because he did lose the Conn Smythe. But to your point, yes, Drysaddle could lose like the, the Oilers could lose in this round and he could still get Conn Smythe votes. Like, yeah. like, it's not even a, it's not even close at this point. It's Leon. He's having one of the greatest playoffs of all time, and this was his best week of that. Like, it's, it's Leon's, right? You can't argue yeah. against Leon. No, I'm not going to argue against Leon. Also, sorry, Jaguar lost the final, won the Conn Smythe the year they lost the final. That's right. what I was trying to say. But no, you're right. Like Leon Drysaddle insane performance kind of wild that we had the back-to-back four goal games from Fabelski and Dreisaitl both men lose those games yeah. but Dreisaitl it's a team sport reason, Julian yes that's fair that's fair that's fair and that's why marketing <laughs> is the way that it is in the National Hockey League <laughs> no but for for Leon Dreisaitl and that Oilers team the way that they're able to click like it's just it is something to behold uh with the way that they go about things and the players that they have and Leon Dreisaitl just by because Joe Pavelski at 38 literally willing his team to an overtime like that deserves a close second place. I don't yes. think it's necessarily Leon going away this week, but like, you know, Leon should win. And we both agree on that, but we should show some love to Joe Pavelski for the fact that uh, he comes his first game back from, from a bit of a layoff and he scores four goals. Like that Absolutely. is love to see that it. is insane. Love to, and he does it the way he does it with those incredible hands that, that hand eye coordination he has for those tips. I mean, it's him and it's Chris Kreider, like the two best I've ever seen at it. I love watching it. All right, I think we've done enough damage for the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Mark, this wasn't so bad. It was, it was tolerable. Yeah, more or less. I, I'm sure we already lost uh, the anti-woke crowd once uh, they saw that both of us were on. Yeah, just just the names being on the description of the podcast. We lost half our, our listeners, probably. Julian McKenzie and Mark Lazarus, the soy boys. <laughs> the soy boys. Yeah, with, anyway. the Z, with the Z at the end, don't forget. Yeah, they made that Fox News joke last time they were on. I didn't like that. <laughs> We need we need to bring back that right wing uh, Ian Mendez back next week to level this off. Yeah, yeah, he's in Budapest. Bring him back. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Athletic Hockey Show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. Seriously, we really would. Uh, pop quiz, Mark. Who's the best producer in the game? Is it Chris Flannery? It is Chris. Fl- it is Chris. I almost flubbed your last name. No, you didn't. Uh, Chris Flannery. Thank you. Uh, make sure to check out Max Boltman and Corey Promen's Draft Lottery live stream tonight at 8.15 p.m. Eastern on the Athletic Hockey Show YouTube page, which you can follow at youtube.com uh, slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, they will give their instant reaction to the winner of the Draft Lottery in real time, and they will also have some immediate analysis there. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Peace. And Corsi.